This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Hear the word of the Lord. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. And the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Let's pray together. Father, once again, it is a privilege to be gathered as your people under your word. God, what a blessing it is that you have called us to yourself, that you've redeemed us from our sin, that you've saved us and set us free to live for you, that you have made us brothers and sisters in your family. Sometimes we forget how much of a privilege that is, how much of a wonder it is that you have plucked us out of our sin, out of the world, when we had no care for you, no desire for you, yet you changed our hearts, you regenerated our hearts and made us yours. God, we thank you for that wonderful privilege. Lord, we thank you that you've given us this opportunity to gather, to worship you, that you have uh, convicted us of sin, that you show us so clearly in your word what you require of us and how we fall short of that. And you show us how there is abundant grace available through Christ and how by simply having faith in Christ, we can be saved and brought into your family. Lord, help us to see that ever more clearly. Help us to see that more clearly this morning as we Uh, Sit under the preaching of your word as you teach and grow us. God, help us to realize that it's not, uh, our, our lives are not compartmentalized. It's not just here as we gather that you are sovereign, but it's over everything, every area of our lives. You see us, you care for us, you love us, you provide for us. So I want to bring all of the needs that our, our church body has today, and there are many Lord, people who are suffering, people who are struggling struggling through life, people who are battling against sin, people who are battling against illness and depression and so many things. God, you are the source of healing for all of those things. So I pray that you would provide comfort, that you would provide conviction, that you would provide the gift of repentance even as we deal with sin. Lord, help us to see you as you are, as our great and glorious God, and also as a father who cares for us and provides for us every single day of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would bind us together in unity in Christ. 
And God, again, we thank you for this opportunity to sit under the preaching of your word. Thank you for Pastor Doug. I pray that you would speak through him, that his words would be exactly those that you have ordained for him to speak, and that your Holy Spirit would apply them to our hearts. Lord, let us leave this place encouraged and changed and more in love with you. Father, we pray that you would be glorified, that your name would be lifted up, and everything that is said and done here in Jesus' name. Amen. Being that Michigan is not in the final four and all. Uh oh. <laughs> that was a low blow. But I'm going to put my timer on so I can abide by the rules. Amen. I want to do some acknowledgement and then I want to jump into our text. I guess I'm supposed to turn this on. That's what they're flagging me for. Amen. Amen. Well, first, um, you need to know I love your pastor, Pastor Aaron. Me and Pastor Aaron kicked off a relationship back 2012, 2013, something like that. I was coming out of being on staff at 10th Prez, and um, we just linked up. Um, and we have been dear friends, dear family since. Um, I get the privilege and the honor to be the, the bootleg uncle of Hannah and Noah and um, Sophie when she lets me hug her. And um, also, uh, I love Miss Nancy. She is my, my, my Midwest white mom. Amen. <laughs> and Miss Patty and um, her lovely husband, I call him the doctor. Um, they have treated me as their own and loved me big. And um, so I just praise God. And praise God for you, First Pres. You gave me some money, some prayer. Um, back in 2012, 2013, you kept sending your check. Um, you kept sending your prayers, kept inviting me. And from that church plant in 2011 in Camden, New Jersey, we planted and we planted and co-planted nearly 10 churches in America's most dangerous cities. Um, and those were of all races. We praise God for Donnie Cho, Asian brother planted in Philadelphia. And... Um, The black guy don't die in this movie. <laughs> I paid my warrants. I thought they was coming, ain't <laughs> And um, yeah, and so those churches, so just remember, and I want you to take ownership and shared celebration with us from Camden that your early and often support. So churches go of, from Asian brothers in Philly, African brothers in Pennsylvania, um, Latino brothers in both the Bronx and Miami, Baltimore, um, Wilmington, Delaware, um, Fort Lauderdale, Orlando. All those churches came out of Epiphany Camden and you were in early and so we planted churches together, amen? 
So why don't we take a second and stop being Presbyterian, be charismatic, and just give the Lord some praise for all that he did. You can put your hands together. Come on, somebody. Last thing I want to acknowledge is my wife, Angel. Of course, um, we got married in 96, so we're on our 26th anniversary on the 29th of March. Amen. She was stalking me, so to keep her out of jail, I married her. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we praise God. Of um, Love you, Ainge. 20, 26 years, been together 27. Um, and from that, she's traveled, she's journeyed with me from one violent, dangerous city to the next. Um, from, from North Camden to North Philly to North Kensington. Now to the north side of Richmond. I think every north is bad. It must just. <laughs> and um, of that, we have three boys, 34, 25, and 24, two daughter-in-laws, one on the way, and three grandkids and one great-grand who was just born in December. So um, wanted to just tell you I love you and thank you. And um, I'm ready to jump into this text. Oh, yeah, and Amanda and Desiree have been bullying me all morning. <laughs> Somebody, Mom, Pat, you got to protect me from them. <laughs> Amen. Don't stay, don't let the little Presbyterian smiles fool you. <laughs> Passage has been read. Prayer has been offered. I want to jump in. The title of my sermon is, It's Time. It's Time. So, uh, let me set up this text. Um, Pastor Ian said this is a tough text, and it is. So I want to set it up so that we can land in it in the way in which believers and unbelievers need to get the, the punch of it and that it has gospel punch. It doesn't need any extra seasoning. But I want to make sure that that's delivered. So let me help you to get to this text. So. When I talk about it's time for decision, it's time. I had a friend, um, well, I knew a cat when I grew up in Patterson, New Jersey. That's a dangerous part of New, of, of New Jersey as well. Well, anybody ever been in New York City or New York and you see those metal doors that go into the basements? Anybody ever seen that? Yeah, so when you walk across them, they're metal. And so a person I knew that went to school with me, he walked across one. They hadn't latched it, so he fell through. He was injured bad, but he was survived. He was fine. He sued and got a lot of money. He got out of the hood, was killing it. And so me and my friends, more my friends than me, one of them would walk and he would see one and he would go. <laughs> he was trying to bust that jaw so that he could get paid too. So he would... And one day, he did that, and he fell through. And when he fell through, the company offered him a settlement because he was pretty banged up. But there was an issue. His father had Johnny Cochran disease and tried to negotiate the settlement. But his father had all these terms in order to settle 
the ter to, to terms of settlement that the company would not agree to. I need this paid for. I need this paid for. So they held out on settling. The crazy thing is that they held out long enough that some witnesses showed up and said that my friend intentionally was trying to jump through the thing, the doors. Because he wouldn't settle based on the terms set forth by, at that point, prudential insurance, he lost everything. He didn't get the lawsuit. As a matter of fact, the company sued him for damaging their property. He was delaying settlement and trying to negotiate on his terms. Well, church, this passage may not be jumping through a metal basement doors. That's our issue here. But Jesus addresses the reality of my story through this text. See, all of us are tempted to delay coming to terms with God on his terms. We want God to take us on our terms. So my general big idea here, church, is church, it's time to come to terms with God on his terms. So Luke Today's text in Luke 12, 49 through 59, Luke 12 tells that there's a large crowd, thousands likely, who have come to Jesus to hear his teachings. People begin to press in and even trample over one another. It's packed. Um, the house is packed to hear what Jesus has to say. And Jesus, through three different pieces of our text today, essentially tells them it's time to come to terms with me on my terms. Church, it's time. My first idea, it's time to decide. See, our culture likes to talk about open-mindedness and whatever is true for you is true for you. And they use language like living your truth, speaking your truth. But if your open-mindedness allows truth and lies to coexist, then it's actually destructive deception. The world's idol of tolerance, i.e. acceptance of all the truth, won't be tolerated by God. Not because God is mean, but because he loves his people, his church, too much to not be clear about who he is and what he calls you to. When we're not clear about what's true and what's a lie, it leads to this, what I like to call this bootleg piece. Verse 51 says this, it says, do you think that I have come, that I came here to bring peace on earth? And so this tolerance creates this zone where there's this peace, but it's not God's peace. It's this bootleg, bootleg version of peace. See, true peace only comes when you have a distinction between truth and lie, good and bad, justice and injustice. Only the gospel brings true peace between God and humanity. For only the news, only news that holds up the truth of God's judgment against sin and the reality of Jesus was truly righteous to earn our salvation. This is the truth. This time to decide is the reality of our culture. Our culture has decided what peace is, what joy is, and it excludes God. And when the church doesn't stand up, and make decisions on what's pure, what's biblical, and what's right, both in, exa in example and in word, that means in life and in lips, 
Well, then the culture prevails. It even starts to bleed into the church. Uh, I'll say something simple. God made two genders, male and female. I'm allowed to say that without getting in trouble. Maybe I will get in trouble, but it's the truth. The culture can't change. He can't change God's creation because they feel like it. The church has to stand up, not mean, but biblically and say, no, God made two. We love you, but God made two. But we have this weird, not say nothing stuff that creates this non-decision position, which is bootleg peace. I'm not saying be that legalistic weirdo that has one of them chick tracks that looks scary and give them to people all the time. I'm saying be a godly Christian that loves Jesus and loves lost people and tell the truth about Jesus. See, Jesus is consumed. The, our text tells us that Jesus came to bring a purifying fire to reveal where we stand in relation to the only true truth. Jesus is consumed with his divine mission and baptismal suffering on the cross as, as the sin sacrifice for humanity. Look what he says. I came to bring fire on the earth, verse 49, and how I wish if I had already set a blaze. But I have a baptism, excuse me, to undergo and how it consumes me um, until it's finished. So when Jesus talks here, he's talking about this, this future baptism from this text um, as he would go to the cross and receive the baptismal judgment of death in the place of sinners as a sinner. The future baptism, see what is going to happen, it will divide people based on what they think it was. Was this truly the son of God who died for our sins? Was this a criminal who was punished for his crazy claims? What happened? He came to bring a division through decision. He came to bring a division through decision. See, the New American Commentary says this. Jesus is the one over whom all humanity is divided. He divides so that he would be clear where we stand with him. Jesus demands a decision about who he is. He doesn't allow for the mushy middle. There is no towing the line. There is no joint alliances. There is no Christianity um, calls. See, see, Christianity calls for a definitive decision about the definitive king of the universe. That's Jesus. Definitive. No mushy middle. He's calling us to decide, to make a decision on who he is. Eugene Peterson, who's in heaven now, says that Jesus came to disrupt and confront our delays in decision making about him. It is grace to you that he calls you to decide. How mean would it be if the true God allowed you to think and live a lie without deciding who he is and who you are and then call judgment upon? It's a grace that he presses the reality of this decision. He calls us to decide what do we think of Jesus and what he has done on the cross? What do we think of him? Who do we believe he is? See, God is saying it's time to decide. Verse 52 and 53 play the, out the reality of decision um, bringing division. As Jesus tells us in um, verse 52, 
From now on, five in one household will be divided against two and two against three. Same household. Oikos, get that. They will be divided, father and son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I want you to see that. Jesus tells us that deciding on Christ decides your family. Households will be divided. Mother against daughter, father against son. Family feud will ensue based upon your decision about Jesus. Where are you delaying your decision-making about Jesus, church? Are you trying to toe the line? Are you a fair-weather follower? Jesus, in his grace, calls for a decision of full allegiance to him. See, the enemy tricks us to take division stands on secondary tertiary issues. We fight about these issues and then are mushy on the issues Jesus, uh, uh, the issues of Jesus to a watching world. It is a sin to be more denominationally divided than we are divided from the world. We are often fighting the wrong battles. This has been most polarized in these past few years between mask vaccinations, race and Justice and elections where all of our dirty sins have crawled out from under our evangelical, evangelifish Christianity that has made us divided under the surface. And when we got pushed a little bit, our Christianity was thin. We were mad at each other. We didn't like each other because of president choices, because of masks, because of vaccines. We didn't like each other because of race and protests and the church was falling apart as bad as the world. We have a gospel. We don't break up and divide over ridiculous stuff where the gospel is plain. You are my brother and sister, period, paragraph. You don't get off the hook. And how you deal with me with grace, you do it through this word. You do it through the Holy Ghost and you do it as family. We are eternally connected, never to be broken. God has made us. We have one father. We need to start acting like it. There's no getting around it. You don't mediate relationship with me through your news outlet. You do it through Jesus. You don't pick nationalism over the kingdom of God. I'm not mad at your president, whichever one he is, but you better love me right. I'm eternally connected to you. We will walk into heaven together. Politicians, they ain't never met you. I'll be at your funeral. They won't. We got a Detroit's down the street. Single parent homes on a rise. Murder, death. We the church. We got to show people that we've decided who our father is. We've decided who our family is, and we've decided that the least, last, and the lost means something to God, so they mean something to his people. So we will be a refuge and a safe place for the nastiest, raggediest, most confused people on earth. If they hate God, send them the first prayers. If they are confused about gender, send them the first prayers. If they're racist on one side, send them the first prayers. We're going to meet them with grace and love and a hug because we've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I'm your family. I can 
go in your refrigerator without asking. <laughs> and for my white people, don't you introduce me as your brother in Christ. You just say your brother and trick people. <laughs> I'm sorry, scare people. <laughs> God is saying it's time to decide. The enemy is saying, no, stay in your own corners. And we're saying, there is no corner. We are one big crazy family. And that don't mean it's always going to be pretty. I got crazy hustling drug dealing cousins. Some of y'all too. Y'all just got Enron hustling cousins. I, I, I just got regular crazy cousins. But we don't remove their blood and call them non-cousins. No, we deal with them as they are. Family of God is messy because sin is messy. But our Father has unified us. But we have to decide that we are with the same Father and that we are one family. And that decision means everything. Everything. If you're in Christ and I'm in Christ, and your spouse is not in Christ, I'm more your family than they are. Let that hit you for a second. I'm more your family than they are if we're both in Christ. That's the reality of this gospel. It divides. So we got to stop fighting the wrong battles. So church, I want to ask you, where have you elevated relationships in life to point to the, I mean, where have you elevated relationships in life to the point where there's peace with them because you're downplaying your relationship with Jesus? The message of Jesus cuts and calls every relationship into question and examination. This isn't be a decisive jerk for the fun of it. No, but it's a sobering reality that the call to decide on the truth of Jesus will divide you from those who are standing on lies. Church, it's time to decide. Second part of this verse, the great Luke, the physician, brings us to. I like to say that I think he's highlighting it's a time to discern. 54 through 56 says this, he also said to the crowds, when you see the cloud rising in the west right away, you say a storm is coming, and, it, and so it does, and when you see the south wind blowing, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why, do you know, why, do you, why don't you know how to interpret the present time? This interpret, this idea of discernment. See, Jesus rebukes the people for not discerning eternal realities. See, Luke's content and context is eschatological in nature. And this eschatological, don't, it's just a 10 cent word. It means in time. It means in game. And this is, Jesus sums it up, not Thanos. God wins in this end time reality. And so when you see eschatological, you need to see first eschatological hope that God has taken us somewhere. We're not trapped in this low land of sorrows. Secondly, I need you to see an earthly urgency, a present time urgency when you see this eschatological, this end time reality. Why? Because people are going to hell and we have been sent to interrupt and disrupt their journey to hell with this big Beautiful all nations gospel. 
So the content and context is eschatological in nature, and it pushes that urgency for the present. He says, this is what Jesus is basically saying. You know how to interpret what's going on for the day-to-day stuff that affects your crops in this agricultural community. He says, you know how to see when the storm is coming. You know how to see when the heat wave is coming. But you're blind when it comes to the kingdom coming. You're blind when it comes to the kingdom reality amongst you. Dr. Tony Evans says this, they couldn't see what's right in front of their eyes. So Jesus calls them hypocrites because he had revealed to them the inbreaking of the kingdom of God was upon them. How? If we read Luke up until this point, he's healed the sick. He's raised the dead and he's cleansed the leper. This is what, Mo, this is what the prophets had said. This is what Isaiah had, had prophesied. This is all of the texts, all of the laws, the writings, and the prophets had pushed us to. This is the reality of this Mashiach, this Messiah. Isaiah says the spirit of the Lord is upon him because it had anointed him to preach the gospel, preach the good news to the poor. He talks about the blind. John the Baptist is about to be beheaded. He's he's running the green mile. He's on death row. And Jesus reminds him not that he's just Messiah, but he explains to him the messianic reign and rule looked like the the cosmic supernatural working of a man who would be God, and that is Jesus. And so in that reality, the people, the children of Israel, looked right in the face of the Mashiach, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christos, and then they ignored. And that's why he says, you hypocrites. Fitzmaier, in his commentary on Luke, notes that the crowd's sin wasn't simply ignorance, but rather their problem is much more an unwillingness to interpret than an inability. Than an inability. See, when you read verse 56, he says, but why don't you know how to interpret the present time? Question mark. That's my exegetical, that's my literary clue. There's a level of challenge and tone almost sarcastic to say y'all playing when it when it affects your bottom line you care but you don't you choose to ignore the eternal line for your bottom line Jesus isn't saying you know how to read the weather Jesus is saying, you seem to know how to read the weather, but you don't know how to read the witness of the Messiah. It's not even that they couldn't interpret the future. They weren't willing to interpret the present of what God was doing in Christ. And Dr. Evans says, in front of their faces. So I think this text is screaming, church, it's time to discern the things of eternal significance. God says, who am I? What am I doing? And what you're called to in light of that is far more important than clouds and heat. See, some of us are better at discerning the trends of cryptocurrency than we are at discerning the truths of Christ. We choose the open browser for our stock rates over the open Bible for our soul's rest. Where are Are we so fixated on the realities of our world, our plan, our bottom line? That's 
Yeah, not why. Where? Why are we so fixated on the realities of our world, our plan, our bottom line? That's where that we are unwilling to see what God's up to and respond accordingly. It's time to discern. Has your allegiance and alliances to this present time? Do you see only the world through this present time? Through a, only through elections? Only through political parties? Only through news outlets? Or do you see this world as what it is, a broken place in desperate need of a savior. Because if we do, some of our priorities will shift. And maybe God is messing with you right now. Maybe you need to repent of some of the things that you have elevated and ignored or equated equal with eternal things. They are not. They are not. In light of that reality, it's time to discern the kingdom of God. And so Jesus closes by telling the crowd, my last point, it's time to drop your defense. So we've got church, it's time to decide. Church, it's time to discern. And then in my last piece, 57 through 59, church, it's time to drop your defense. Nobody who was accused goes to trial unless they think, their defense has a shot at winning. Let me read to give you better context. Verse 57, why don't you judge for yourself what's right? As you are going with your adversary to the ruler, basically the judge, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hand you over to the bailiff and the bailiff throw you in prison. I tell you that you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Um, it's getting hot up this joint. I watch a lot of Judge Judy. I love her. She is disrespectful. And I also watch a lot of Judge Greg Mathis. He's from Detroit. But a lot of people come to TV, small claims court, and then they're the defendant. So the plaintiff says, I have a video of him stealing my dog, and he's in court with my dog right now. And so Judge Judy says, what's your defense? He says, I love this dog. I feel it's my dog. And Judge Judy said, is that your defense? Why did you even come to the show? <laughs> you lose. Give her the dog. I want you to see this text through that. See, nobody who's accused um, goes to trial unless they think their defense has a shot at winning. Judge Judy is just punitive damage. This is the eternal death penalty that would be inflicted by God on those who don't settle up. Jesus confronts and says, why do you judge yourselves? Why, why don't you judge for yourself what is right? 
The further, in verse 57, the further verse implies that judging for yourself what is right means you'd realize you have no shot of winning against God at judgment. In light of that, Jesus says, you are going to trial with your adversary. You ought to be settled beforehand. If you don't settle on the way to trial in this life, you're going to be found guilty and owe every last cent of the penalty. What is he saying? He's judge, jury, plaintiff, bailiff, everything. And no human can settle with God on their terms. We have no defense. So if we don't settle up, before we get there, when we get to court, we are surely going to lose because there's only one way to relationship with God, the Father, that's through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. This is our gospel. This is the good news. He has provided a way that I can't provide. He has made a way where there was no way for human ingenuity to scheme and devise. And by his blood, I have a defense. It's him. But if I show up to court, Revelation tells me, John the Revelator says, who shall be able to stand? Nobody. The reason people go to hell and suffer for all eternity who don't know Jesus is because it takes you eternity to pay for your sins. They're never paid for. So we got to settle up. It's time to drop your defense. If you don't settle up, on the way to trial, you're going to be found guilty and owe every last cent of your penalty. The text is screaming. Now, this is obviously good wisdom for anyone who is going to trial that they're going to lose. But Jesus is primarily talking about this eschatological urgency to settle your case with God. He says there's a final judgment coming and you will be found guilty if you don't settle ahead of time with me. This is Jesus' altar call here, right here. He's calling people to the altar to come to know Jesus. He says, be reconciled to God in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Make peace with God while there's yet time. How does one do that? Jesus says it's time to come to terms with God on his terms. The way to be reconciled to God is to drop your defense and decide on Jesus as your defender. Drop your defense, it's going to lose. Pick up Jesus as defender and you will be able to stand. Romans 5.10 says, for if while we were sinners, we, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? We are offered real, true peace with God through Jesus Christ's death for our sins. The Bible calls him our advocate for our court case against God for our sins. He has bore the wrath. He tucked his Shekinah into a skin suit, took the penalty we deserved, and freely gave it away to undeserving sinners like us. If you have no advocate in Jesus, I don't care what your defense is, you are guilty. There is no getting around it. There is no plea bargain. There is no negotiation. There is no delay of the case. There won't be any postponements. Guilty. But if you have Jesus, 
If you have Jesus, you can walk high with your head up and you can stand there knowing that you are guilty. You can take a Martin Luther, the great reformer's position, when the devil accuses you of being a dirty sinner, you agree with them. But you say, I have a Christ who is purely clean and he is my righteousness. None of your righteousness will work before the king, but the righteousness of God that's available through Jesus is available for you. And he is your advocate. He will never miss the case. He will always show up. He'll be there to plead your case. Matter of fact, the text tells me he's pleading your case right now. He's elbowing the father and saying, Aaron is covered by my blood. He's saying, Angel is covered by my blood. And that raggedy Doug Logan is covered by my blood. Though he's guilty, let him in. Though he's guilty, let him in. He's been a fool. He's been ridiculous. But he's with me, God. Let him in. He's nudging at the father. The Bible says he's making intercession for us right now. Cling to that advocate. Cling to that lawyer. The retainer is eternal life. But it's time to decide. It's time to discern. And it's time to drop your defense and get Jesus as your defender. Coming to God on God's terms means dropping our defense, discerning the times, and deciding on his son. Church, where are you trying to justify yourself before God instead of trusting his son? Where? What areas in your life are you trying to make work? Are you trying to fit in to a God that doesn't allow worldly allegiances? We're all in on Jesus. He says he'll share his glory with no one. I can tell you there was only one on the cross who died for you. There was only one who murdered death so death couldn't murder you. There was only one empty tomb that means anything in, etern in eternity. All this other stuff, the songwriter says, all other ground is sinking sand. And then the refrain, all other ground is sinking sand. Drop your defense. He loves you even though you have sinned. Decisively turn to Jesus as the sacrifice for your sins. He will forgive you and fool you by his power and through his spirit to walk in his ways. Church, it's time to decide, to discern, and to drop your defense. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, First Prayers wants to be your church. We don't care your background. We don't care how much mess. We don't argue about your disagreements. Just come to Jesus and be family. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Secondly, if you're here and you know him, and maybe you've been clinging to some stuff that has elevated over Jesus and has been a defense over the gospel, repent of those things and cling tight to Jesus. Walk with him and him alone. I'm not telling you to get out of your political part. I'm not saying all that. I'm saying the eternal things of God weigh heavier than a world over which he reigns. The world is a mess, but I have a God who is sovereign. 
So I should have a more relaxed view about the brokenness of this world and a higher urgency for the lost people of this world. So I'm screaming, I'm pleading with you. Let's elevate Christ at first press. Let's make it, let's make it, this is a chapter in my book. Let's make it impossible for people who hate Jesus to ignore the beauty of Jesus that comes from this church. Let's make it impossible for people that hate Jesus to ignore the beauty of Jesus because of the unity in Christ of this church. Let's give people a fit with love and that they would come here. And we have no mask mandate. <laughs> Father, we need you. We're desperate for you. Um, even as we get ready for communion, we've got things to decide. We want to discern the Lord's coming. We want to stand with you and walk with you. We want to understand the cl with clarity how the gospel shapes, guides, and controls all in which we do. So, God, as we make ready for this Lord's Supper, that this bread, though we bought it from a Christian bookstore or something, um, and this, wine, this grape juice in this cup um, would go beyond common and point us to Christ, that it was his blood that was poured out, that now everybody in him has, which unifies us as family over all, and that it was his body that was beaten to a pulp, that we would be a body that was unified through the gospel. So, Lord, we're one crazy family, unified by one blood, through one gospel, by one Savior. Help us to be that, and might this communion be a place where we get, where we lead with repentance that leads to revival. Give us repentance that leads to revival, God. We need it. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.